Welcome to MicroCollege, a podcast exploring innovative, place-based, and humanly scaled responses to the crises in higher education, meaning, and discourse in our time. Everyone knows that colleges and universities are at a breaking point, but what can be done? I'm Jacob Hunt, the director of Thoreau College, a micro-college in Viroqua, Wisconsin. Join us each week as we tackle this question head-on. Welcome to MicroCollege. This week on the podcast, we are really excited to have here in the studio at WDRT in Viroqua, Brenna Cusson Anglada and Eric Anglada. Welcome. Thank, Thank you. you. We've got a lot of different things to talk about um, today, but um, yeah, that, that includes uh, the Catholic Worker Movement and the Associated Agronomic University, um, the organization Nuns and Nuns, um, and, and just different models of building intentional community on the land and building a meaningful life around that. Um, so yeah, we'll get into all those things, but uh, we like to begin here on the podcast with people's biographies and their stories, um, especially associated with their young adulthood. Um, so Eric, maybe you could take it away first. Where were you 18 to 20 years old setting out on your journey of life? So I'm uh, originally from a, a suburb of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Um, grew up in a basically secular, non-political, upper middle class, white uh, family. And I, when I was 18, I got the idea of taking a year off between uh, high school and my first year of college. My grandfather had recently died and left me $3,000. And I thought, this could, this could pay a lot of Greyhound miles for me <laughs> to see the country. I had um, become a Christian, actually, when I was 18 years old and saw myself very much as a seeker, as an explorer, as a kind of pilgrim of sorts. And I knew that what I grew up with was not the life that I wanted to lead. And so I wanted to do a bunch of volunteer work, get out and see the world and, and help folks out. And so I spent about seven months on the road, traveling mostly by Greyhound bus, spending a few weeks at a variety of places and I was actually staying in a homeless shelter in Phoenix, Arizona. And someone there, a volunteer, said, oh, if you're you know, wanting to check things out, you should go and check out the Catholic Worker Movement. I was like, huh, okay, I've never heard of that. And uh, so looked it up and, and cold called uh, Solidarity House in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And they said, sure, come on over. We'd love to have you. And it was a, a community run by two Franciscan monks who had fallen in love with each other and dropped out of the monastery and started a <laughs> Catholic worker were hosting a handful of otherwise homeless men. They were picketing regularly at the Capitol around issues of trade unions and the death penalty. They served rice and beans for the neighborhood every single night. And so I just became totally intrigued with this Catholic worker movement that has over 200 communities across the world, but mostly in the U.S. and mostly in urban areas. And I remember uh, a Catholic worker from Toronto, Canada, was visiting also at the same time. And he was talking to me and he said, why are you even thinking about going to college? Drop out, join the Catholic worker movement, join the revolution, man. <laughs> so I, uh, I was, that was 18, 19 years old. I did go off to, to college. I, I went to three different colleges in three years before finally taking 
that advice of that Toronto Catholic worker and dropping out and um, really beginning my education at that point. Beautiful. That's a great story. What about you, Brenna? <laughs> yeah, it's hard to beat Eric's story, but also similarly getting radicalized by the Catholic worker around that time. I, um, I grew up in Massachusetts in a pretty Catholic family. My dad was a son of Irish immigrants. Um, so working class on the way up to upper middle class, white family, and went to college in Worcester, Massachusetts uh, for a math degree. I was really good at math, and I thought math, a woman in math, like I can make a lot of money. Um, great. And then uh, got to college and started meeting friends who were taking interesting classes on peace studies and nonviolence, and through those classes, uh, met the Claire and Scott Schaefer Duffy from the Saints Francis and Therese Catholic Worker. They introduced me to um, anarchism. Also, there was a there was um, the Agogo Anarchist Collective in Worcester who taught me what anarchism was. And as soon as I heard about it, I was like, "Yes, that makes all the sense in the world. I'm in. How do I how do I sign up <laughs> to be an anarchist?" Um, and also. Scott and Claire, with their four children, um, were just lived in a small house and took in five or six folks at a time who had nowhere else to go. And when I would ask them about why they're doing what they're doing and why they had very little money, um, they always tied it back to the Gospels, of which I had been listening to for every Sunday for my entire life. And it came alive for me. I was like, oh, this is what I've, this is what I have been hearing in the gospel stories at Mass every Sunday of what Jesus told us to do, and this is the first time I've met people taking that seriously. And Scott and Claire had both um, participated in a lot of civil disobedience. They had both been to jail. Um, they had both gone to different war, like countries who were struggling with war and violent conflict, and they worked with um, people of those countries who were fighting oppression using nonviolent means and uh, they were both pacifists, and again, when I asked them more questions about why that was, they tied it immediately back to the Gospels, again, which I had recognized from my from my 18 to 20 years of Sunday Mass, and I thought, aha, this is it. This is what I want to do with the rest of my life. Um, I still graduated with a math degree, but I haven't, I haven't used it. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, I, I'm really excited to be able to have a chance to to talk about Catholic Worker and and uh, you know in particular the educational components of this. Um, this is you know just personally um, is is associated almost emotionally with me with the story of Thoreau College as well. Um, mm. I you know so we've named ourselves after Henry David Thoreau, who's famously civil disobedient and and but also a sort of a loner, right? He famously went and and, and lived the life of a hermit, and he was deeply engaged with his community, and and, and there's lots of ways that that we're inspired by his his story, but. I also, you know, in, in the origin story for me of this project, um, I really was sensing in young people that I was working with, high school students, a real desire for community and for, for authentic kind of service and action in the world that, um, that, in fact, I didn't quite have a name for. I'd heard about you know, Dorothy Day and Catholic Worker, but didn't really have any visceral sense of it and kind of went kind of asking around, asking of the world and of Google and things like that, and, and really came back strongly um, with this is this is an example of, of it in the world. And 
So it's somewhere in the DNA of, the, mm. of Thoreau College. And we ended up, um, through the Youth Initiative High School here, forming a relationship with the Sukasa Catholic Worker House in the south side of Chicago, mm. um, which now is a place that the 11th grade class goes to visit every year and engage with you know, work in the city and, and, and with that community. And it's just, these are, these are, this is a powerful, you know, beautiful model of community and service and, and, and authentic kind of engagement with the world. So. Maybe you could uh, step back and, and tell us a bit of the, the history of, of the Catholic Worker Movement, what's a Catholic Worker House, and, and then we can move on from the, the distinctive ways that you're working with this idea. Sure. So the Catholic Worker Movement was started in 1933 by Peter Morin, who was a, a, a French peasant intellectual activist, and uh, Dorothy Day, who is uh, an American Catholic um, raised in Chicago, New York, and San Francisco, who was a Catholic convert looking for ways to um, put her spirituality into the world. And, and Peter Morin had this vision for uh, a movement of communities. They, they began by doing a paper called The Catholic Worker, started May 1st, 1933, a penny a copy, uh, still being put out today. So it began as a paper, and then people began showing up. People began asking for food, for soup, for coffee, and so they began um, offering hospitality. This was uh, at the height of the Depression, 1930s, New York, um, immense amount of poverty and unemployment, so they began putting people up, began uh, making hot soup, and they also harbored a vision, particularly Peter Morin did, of having communities going back to the land. And so historically, the, the Catholic worker farms have been uh, the distinct minority within a broader, uh, more urban movement. Though every once in a while, we'll know, um, we'll meet someone who says, wow, there are Catholic worker houses of hospitality in the city? I just know that there are farms. <laughs> and that's very rare. <laughs> Usually, there is this asso association with um, soup kitchens, houses of hospitality, people li uh, living in simplicity with their guests. Um, so over the over the decades, we're almost we'll be turning 90 as a movement next year. And Peter Morin said the the Catholic worker is not an organization; we are an organism. So every community takes on the a different shape, um, but the fundamental philosophy and goal, um, and fairly bold, is to build a new society within the shell of the old which they borrowed from the, the Wobblies, uh, the industrial workers, to, to build a new society within the shell of the old and create an alternative, create a society where it's easier to be good. And so um, it's just fascinating to see that the diversity of the movement. Bren and I have visited probably a few dozen communities over the years, and you can kind of feel there's a feeling in each different Catholic worker, even as they might have different expressions um, within their locality. Anything to add to that, Brenna? <laughs> I think you, yeah, yeah, covered it, covered it well. The, his, the history of the Catholic worker. Yeah. I would say, I mean, something advice that I give to my high school students when they are graduating and thinking about what to do is you, you know, travel around the country, travel around the world. If you're looking for an interesting community of people, look for the Waldorf schools and look for the Catholic worker houses mm -hmm. or Catholic worker farms, mm -hmm. and and you will be connected with the most interesting people in any community. 
For sure, for sure, yeah. And we um, actually just recently had a vi- there's kind of a cross pollination, a sense of a network um, amongst the Catholic worker movement, and just had a wonderful visit with, for a few days from a Catholic worker all the way over in Amsterdam. Huh. And uh, he was talking about their work, and he did a, a, a PowerPoint uh, slideshow for us on the European Catholic worker, which we've never seen. But it's like, yeah, there are people doing this all over the world in different ways, and it's just so exciting. Yeah, I, maybe I will add uh, most Catholic worker houses, If again, we're an anarchist movement, so um, there's no one thing you have to be or have to believe or have to take on, but the, a big common thread is our deep skepticism of capitalism and trying to live uh, alternative models to that when we can, and then a deep skepticism of militarism, U.S. foreign policy, the power of the state, especially the violence that the state wields, um, particularly the nation state of the United States, um, and uh, a deep love for hospitality. So whatever form that takes, whether that's like feeding lots of people who are hungry or whether it's just having an extra room to have for f- travelers and folks and strangers coming through. Um, yeah, those are some common threads you're going to find when, at Catholic when, Worker. And when Brenna uses the word anarchism, we should probably clarify that we're not, of course, talking about um, lurking in the back alley with a bomb, um, but talking about the the um, political philosophy that's been centered around voluntary cooperation, mutual aid, decentralization, organizing from below. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Dorothy Day was, was a lifelong anarchist and so not only are we anarchists in political philosophy but we're anarchists in our organization in the sense that we are decentralized as Brenna said there's no one saying you are or are not a Catholic worker yeah. I think one of the fun things about Catholic workers you can you by saying the word Catholic and the word anarchist yes worker you can you can freak out two wholly separate groups yeah. of people sometimes Yes. Yeah, so you could say we either can relate to everybody or everybody <laughs> is afraid of us. We can alienate. We can one. alienate <laughs> everybody also. Yes, a lot of uh, provocative terminology here. <laughs> I mean, you, you pointed a little bit to this, Brenna, but could you talk about in the day-to-day life of, of you know, your community, or, or maybe you can't generalize about this, but the relationship between the Catholic worker and the rest of Catholicism? Oh, sure. There is, um, there's no formal relationship so our, our community, St. Isidore Catholic Worker Farm, the four adults who are permanent members there, long-term members there, we all happen to be Catholic and we relate to our own, we relate to like our local Catholic parishes, but that's somewhat uncommon in mm-hmm. the Catholic Worker Movement. Um, there are people of, um, there are definitely Catholics, there are a lot of ex-Catholics, there's other forms of Christianity represented, there's people of other faiths and people of real, no real um, definitive faith. There's even definitive atheists in the movement, but people are attracted to the way of life, of offering hospitality, living living simply, um, living in community, living closer to the land. Even a lot of city houses, um, you know, it's it's hard to find a city house that doesn't have at least a little backyard garden, yep. trying to grow some of what they eat. Um, so a lot of people are attracted to the way of life, if not the spirituality. But um, the Catholic Church, yeah, there's a, maybe a love-hate relationship. Each community will decide how closely they relate. Um, and sometimes 
local priests and bishops make that easier or harder, um, depending on the diocese and where you are. Um, Dorothy Day, though, the founder, the co-founder of the Catholic Worker, is um, up for canonization. She received a, a unanimous vote by the United States bishops that she her case should be investigated by the Vatican um, as a servant. So she's now, I think, a servant of God, and they're going to see if she can do any miracles up there um, for us down here. And if so, she'll be on her way to sainthood. <laughs> Micro College is recorded in the broadcast studios of WDRT Viroqua, 91.9 FM, Driftless Community Radio on Main Street in Viroqua, Wisconsin. Thanks to Jim and all the folks at WDRT for the support of Thoreau College and the Micro College Podcast. So you mentioned the, the St. Isidore Catholic Worker Farm, um, and so this is this is where you live. You're the founders of it um, or co-founders, and so yeah, tell us about tell us about the St. Isidore. So St. Isidore Catholic Worker Farm, we are in the southwest corner of Wisconsin, down a little bit south of Platteville, um, just a few miles across the bridge from Dubuque, Iowa. We have been there since the spring of 2016. Before that, we are all four of us. We're at New Hope Catholic Worker Farm, just south of Dubuque. So have been living together for a number of years now. And we are on 25 acres of land. We have um, gardens, a small uh, herd of cows, flock of chickens, bees, and we have solar panels and composting toilets and try to practice, um, I think a, f a fundamental part of what we're trying to do there on the land is to um, heal our relationship with the land we also have host lots of different um, folks who are interested in, in what you were talking earlier about this this hunger for for community for something more authentic. Uh, I'm thinking we just you know had a few days ago uh, 35 students from all over the state of Iowa um, as part of an interfaith conference and um, just engaging different peoples um, around what we're doing, and we're also doing uh, some educational work as well. We're um, offering workshops on the basis of the gift economy, and we can go into the agronomic university piece, but Brenna, do you want to add anything about the farm? Sure. Did you mention daily prayer together? So we, um, as a community, the four adults and whoever else is staying with us at the time, we pray five days a week in the morning for a half hour. It generally takes the form of a reading for, of the day and then um, and then quiet time where we can all be quiet and contemplative together. And once a week, that prayer takes the form of uh, reconciliation. So we, together, just the, the four of us, um, will will share any apologies or uh, bring up any conflicts or needs that, that need to be addressed that we haven't been able to address otherwise. So it's, that's at, at the, it's, I'd say that's at the heart of what we do. Um, and then a number of years ago, definitely due in large part to the resistance out at Standing Rock on the Standing Rock Reservation, um, the Lakota Standing Rock Nation standing up against the Dakota Access Pipeline coming through the, or just north of their territory and traveling under the Mississippi. Um, we started more seriously looking at uh, our, you know, our founder, our co-founder's principal, Peter Morin, you know, really saw like the Catholic worker as a back to the land movement. And we really needed to start asking the question um, in a stronger way than we had been before, like back to whose 
land because mm-hmm. um, Peter Morin, like a lot of European immigrants and settlers of this country, just took it as a given that um, we could just take it and um, use it for our own spiritual growth and our own deepening our own connection and our own physical health and all the beautiful things that come along with a beautiful connection to the land. Um, but it's not it's not ours. And it how did it it, got, it came to be ours through a a lot a long history of violence and oppression. And so for the last I'd say what seven or eight years we've been trying to look more deeply at that history and what that means in terms of our responsibility as white folks living on land that is traditionally Ho-Chunk and Meskwaki and Sauk and other other nations who've lived there. And so what, what form has that taken? I know you've done some workshops or teachings around this, and what else have you done? Um, well, so at first, a lot it really started just with a lot of education, which mm-hmm. is for, of ourselves. It, um, it's not just the, the information of how the land, especially where we live, came to be um, in white hands is not like readily available. So there's a lot of deep digging and research that um, I and really especially Eric um, have been looking into and then sharing that communally. Yeah, so we hold workshops. We've had um, two different week-long and then another weekend-long workshops at our at our farm um, in around decolonization and like helping each other learn what is the history of our own land and then what is our personal immigration history of immigration and our own ancestry coming to this land and uh, how did we benefit from the violence that took place on this land through colonization um, <clears throat> and then trying to stand in solidarity with uh, folks who are native folks who are resisting further encroachment and destruction of their land such as um, the resistance against Line 3 up in northern Minnesota, which was a largely Ojibwe women-led uh, resistance. So s- standing in solidarity with them, sometimes even at, at the risk of um, arrest and jail, and trying to take on some of that risk with these folks. Um, it's taken on like having Native speakers, do, reading a lot of Native authors, and then Eric does a lot of book discussions on Native authors, um, and then working with I have been working particularly the last couple of years with fellow Catholics, um, looking at what our role is in the if, or a truth and accountability of the fact that we uh, ran um, a lot of boarding schools in the mm-hmm. United States. We ran at the very least 80, and probably it's probably more like a couple hundred. We're, we're trying to even research and learn that history so that the church can take on responsibility but some of the first steps for taking on responsibility is finding out what even happened mm-hmm. and that's not that's not even readily available all the time Eric would you add to that well I just wanted to note that in in the um, in 2019 February 2019 Brenna and three others broke into an Enbridge um, facility and, and shut down a pipeline um, and faced for a time a felony which was the felony was ultimately dropped and you did two days in jail but um, so trying to re- trying to put put our bodies on the line a little bit more. Um, I like to talk about a, the the first fall that we moved to the land a, a day where um, Peter and Mary Kay, with whom we live, were installing solar panels. I was preparing a, a retreat on ecology and spirituality, and Brenna was standing in front of a bulldozer in central <laughs> Iowa trying to defend uh, land against the Dakota Access Pipeline. So that's kind of a microcosm of 
of what we're trying to do in, in, in um, you know, uh, prayer, spirituality, regeneration, sustainability, resistance, activism. Um, it just even a few weeks ago, we had a, a very powerful um, gathering in, up in Sheboygan where we were um, invited to help um, in their resistance to uh, a world-class golf course being proposed on uh, native sacred land as well as like really important ecosystem right on Lake Michigan. And so we uh, co-led with our friend Michigan, who's a um, Potawatomi, Miami elder, um, a, kind of a, a, a gathering of prayer. We call it sacred land gathering. So all of these different forms, all of which are super small in the face of, um, you know, the huge colonial beast. Um, but we, that's, these are the ways that we're trying to engage that and to, to heal ourselves, heal the land, and heal some of these relationships. Yeah, it's striking. You know, the, the the process, you know, what you said, begins with with education, right? With with education of yourself, and then you can see it flows out into education of your community and and people, other people of the world in general. And sometimes that's education by action, mm-hmm. right? As well as as well as teaching classes and and discussing books and things like that. Yeah, they were educating that jury. <laughs> I mean, for four days, it was amazing. That those jurors had never heard of this world of sustainable agriculture and sacred land and activism. I mean, it was really beautiful. <laughs> Yeah, so can we step back a couple steps? And, and so this term agronomic university, I think a certain quotient of people will have heard of Catholic worker houses, a smaller quotient will have heard of Catholic worker farms, and then a few people will have heard of agronomic universities. Yeah. But <laughs> my understanding is this is, a, this is an essential part of Peter Morin's vision. It's certainly in my view, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, as I um, have lived into the Catholic Worker movement after I dropped out of college, I moved to St. Jude Catholic Worker in Champaign, Illinois, where uh, providing hospitality for otherwise homeless women and children, I had a soup kitchen, also engaging in roundtable discussions, which is an integral part of Peter Morin and Dorothy Day's vision of clarifying thought and reading books and talking. And, um, you know, he said there's no revolution without a theory of revolution, which is a line he borrowed from Lenin. And so part of Peter Morin's vision of the Catholic worker movement and engaging the land are what he called agronomic universities, where uh, worker, the worker and scholar can come together and really honor the full, the full human being, body, mind, and spirit. And so Peter Morin was always uh, searching for the perfect schedule <laughs> to allow for the perfect <laughs> integration of body, mind, and spirit. And so in those early days of the Catholic worker farm movement, the farms emerged a few years after the, um, uh, they emerged in 1936, three years into the movement's history. And his idea was very much rooted in um, the history of monasticism. And, and as we talk about the, the Catholic Church, which for so many people is um, right in line with authoritarian and depression. But Peter Morin and Dorothy Day always saw the Catholic tradition, or at least certain parts of it, as being liberatory and that they they really kind of lifted up this 2,000-year-old radical tradition um, that's been with part of Catholicism. Some of his heroes were the early Benedictines who were uh, creating communities on the land where learning and manual labor were very much honored. 
he talked about a green revolution, which is confusing now because of Norman Borlaug and um, which the contemporary, you know, emphasis on chemicals and industrial agriculture and all that stuff, which is the exact yeah. opposite of what Peter Morin talked about with the green revolution. But when he talked about the green Re revolution, he said this is in, in uh, contrast to the red revolution. Our green revolution is rooted in the Irish early medieval monastics and villagers who lived on the land and engaged in what he liked to call cult culture and cultivation. Cult in that ancient sense of reverence, worship, prayer, mm -hmm. culture in the sense of learning, books, scholarship, and cultivation where engaging the land. And so Peter Morin felt like we were living through another dark ages where the, the as the Irish monks were um, furiously copying down manuscripts and trying to save this remnant of, of culture as the Roman Empire was crumbling, he felt like we're, this is the time we are living in. And so we need to be honoring the full person. We need to create these communities on the land where there is learning happening, where there is sharing of skills, where there is prayer, meditation, reverence. So um, our little experiment is, is, a, is a nod to that. Historically, the Catholic worker um, has been, as I said earlier, very much more urban than rural. And there were a few uh, initial experiments in the early 1940s at the Catholic Worker Farms on doing something kind of modeled on a folk school mm -hmm. where, where people would come and spend um, weeks together and, you know, folk dancing as well as prayer, as well as uh, working in the fields, as well as listening to lectures and reading books. And so I just thought that was just such an enticing um, <laughs> adventure and so we you know we've what we've done is very very small scale but we've now done maybe um, nine or ten different of these week-long um, uh, we call them growing roots where we split the day in half half the day is in presentation reading and discussion the other half is in uh, shared labor on the land together we begin the morning with prayer meditation often end the evening around the bonfire singing and so, um, and this year we had our, our first foray into a little bit of a longer experience where we offered what we called the Peter Morin program. For four weeks, we had four fo folks join us where we got a lot done in the, in the gardens and um, we had intentional discussions around racial justice, Catholic worker movement, et cetera. And so we're, you know, it's, it's all a, a small-scale educational experiment, really, but just honoring the fact that we are these human beings who need, who have intellectual needs, spiritual needs, physical needs, and trying to, to honor the, the full um, dynamism of the, the human person. And who, what, can you characterize the kinds of people who are participating in these, these the week-long and then the, the, the longer workshop you did this spring? Oftentimes, through people are finding us, founding, finding out about us through the Catholic Worker Movement in some way. Um, it was a, a, I, I kind of assumed that we would have mostly uh, folks right out of college come. That was one person who was a recent college grad. Uh, another person in their late 20s on the search looking for uh, meaningful life. Um, 
Another person in their 40s came the, who now owns land in Indiana, really wanting to kind of like get some ideas for how to engage their land. And then a woman in her 50s who is an activist from Madison. So it was a great diversity. And then uh, folks who come th for our week-long growing roots um, tend to be Catholic workers or people in that uh, mold who kind of run in that scene a little bit. But there's a lot of whom live in city city Catholic worker houses and mm -hmm. want to dive deeper into like the philosophy or theology or political discussions behind the Catholic worker and also just one a week out on the on the land and uh it's it's a real i think it's a real treat for folks who live in cities to be able to come out to the farm and, and get folks, their hands in the dirt folks who come with skills who are offering their skills so we've had um yoga instructors we've had massage therapists um singers uh artists poets mm -hmm. um everyone's kind of offering their own skills and so it is a very organic mm -hmm. affair so again, this is the St. Isidore Catholic Worker Farm, Cuba City, Wisconsin. Mm -hmm. If people are curious about it, how would they find out more about this? <laughs> <laughs> they could Google that name and they will not find a website, but they'd, <laughs> they'd probably find our email and phone number. And uh, it's, our, a it's a landline. So they could call us um, if, if you, people have texted us and then have been surprised when we can't text them back. But Or email catholicworkerschool at gmail.com and... We're pretty Catholic good about Worker School. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I would say anyone also can get onto your mailing list. You can receive the wonderful zine you produce. That's right. Yes, we do do an <laughs> annual zine. A, a part of the Catholic Worker tradition has always been the, the journalism and the paper and the writing. And so each winter we, we focus on um, putting out a 26-page zine. And we have our book recommendations and different essays about you know what we're thinking about and... Um, yeah, so if you want to, if you want to receive that, you can email us at catholicworkerschool at gmail.com. Thoreau College is a leader in an emergent movement dedicated to the renewal and revitalization of higher education through the creation of new, humanly scaled institutions with holistic curricula known as micro-colleges. Thoreau College, higher education for the whole human being. Another thing we, we wanted to, to talk about, um, something, Brenna, that you've been involved with, is um, this fascinating initiative, uh, Nuns and Nuns. And this is N-U-N-S and N-O-N-E-S. Yes. Um, this came up a few weeks ago when we interviewed John Verveke, Um And it's another kind of a, another step in this exploration of monasticism and, and organized or, or intentional, I should say, life. Share, life sharing and, mm -hmm. and life based around meaning. So can you tell us a little bit more about this? Sure. So um, nuns and nuns, N-U-N-S uh, being like Catholic sisters and N-O-N-E-S being like um, spiritually rooted but not necessarily religiously affiliated uh, seekers and activists, many of whom happen to be millennials but not necessarily. Um, it began about five years ago as uh, you know conversations between these two groups of people, um, the younger millennials. I'll, I'll just call them the millennials to not get it too confused. Um, were wanting a life, uh, spiritual rootedness to their like activism, and saw that Catholic sisters had been living for decades. Uh, rooted in community, rooted in a, in a way of life, like a rule of life, and it had been 
working for the most part and that they were very much social justice minded and involved in a lot of social justice movements. Um, so these conversations um, started happening and kind of caught like wildfire around the country. So they were happening in lots of different places. So the organization formed around it to support those meetups happening. And um, I was not involved at the beginning. So I'm <clears throat> kind of sharing the stories that I've heard. Um, there were some experiments with some of them moving in together to see how this might take root. And then, as we all know, a few years ago, a, a pandemic happened. And so a lot of the cross, the, the in-person cross-pollination was a lot harder to happen. So some of those experiments in actually living in community with one another um, and stopped uh, or didn't take root the way they were hoping. And in, um, instead, what is taking root right now is a shared, I guess you could call it um, ministry or a shared like program together. Uh, so a year ago, um, formed the Land Justice Project, and that is what Eric worked for it for a little bit and still does um, sporadic some work for as well. And then I'm working more permanently with the Land Justice Project. So it's a, a shared uh, between these two groups, the nuns and the nuns, um, realizing that given the state of the climate and given the state of racial injustice um, due to 500 years of colonization in this on this continent, um, what steps could we take as a group together toward both racial and ecological healing? And a lot of Catholic sisters um, in this country own a lot of land. They have access to, they, they are the title holders to a lot of land, to a lot of beautiful land and property. And um, due to racial injustice in this country, it's also true that 98% of private land in the United States is owned by white people. And it's very difficult um, because of systemic racism and because of the price of land. It's very difficult for a lot of movements led by people of color, particularly black and indigenous folks who are creatively figuring out ways to mitigate um, or to, to fight against climate change because of their great experiments and trying to sink carbon into the ground with regenerative agriculture or restoring native habitat, restoring prairie. It's hard for them to have access to land because the price of land is so high and because of land has been stolen by from indigenous folks by white people. Um, wealth and labor has been stolen for, and land has been stolen from black folks by white people. So this land justice project is seeking to bring these two groups of folks together, Catholic sisters who have land and young, um, or movements led by people of color um, who don't have land but have the vision and the skills um, to heal land. Um, and we're we're trying to work with Catholic sisters to see what might be possible. How can we transfer the title of from away from more white-owned uh, land to these movements? Um, so that's what that's what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Big project. Huge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I mean, it's the the whole concept of of nuns and nuns is you know it. Again, it seems like when I learned about it from you and have, have researched a bit more, and there is a website for nuns and nuns, yes. by the yes, way. Yes, very much well, an online <laughs> presence. <laughs> so we, we'll, we'll link to that. It's millennial notes. run, yeah. so yeah. yeah. <laughs> Social media all over. 
I mean, it's it's a sense of you know I, I I've grown up in you know pretty locally here in Wisconsin, Catholic family. My my father went to uh, one room school house, house taught by Franciscan sisters, and so I've been aware of the decline of that that part of the community. Right there is you know, it's very aging, and you know there's there's there used to be this whole part of the part of the local scene that's 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 really there anymore. Um, and so it seems. You know, Natural in some way that there's something emerging into that space in some mm-hmm. way. It's, and I think that uh, it's yeah, it's fascinating to the way that it's been framed. Yeah, Catholic Sisters. I, for a lot of communities, we're working with their average, their median age is in the 80s. So they're already doing property planning. They're already imagining like how, how can we pass on this land in a way that reflects our values? And for so many of them, again, due to systemic racism and white privilege, a lot of the options that they see available to them are like conservation easements, which I think are great things. I think mm-hmm. they're great they're great tools. Um, again, a lot of them are run by white organizations. And uh, because um, because our worlds are so segregated, there haven't been like lots of natural places for relationships to be formed with movements led by people of color. Um, and so we're trying to bridge that gap. And I think sisters want to do something um, racial justice, like aligned with racial justice, aligned with climate justice, aligned with ecological justice. Um, and we're helping them to fill in those dots. And just wanted to quickly mention one neat experiment with it, where this is happening on some level out in Long Island, New York, mm-hmm. is the um, Sisters of St. Joseph have been partnering with the uh, Shinnecock Nation right there. They have a tiny reservation right next to the Hamptons. Huh. And there's, there's this bizarre dynamic where um, the Hamptons, there's these billionaires, but there's, there's not like really like um, septic. So they're often just all their waste is going right into the ocean there and polluting the waters. And so the, the Shinnecock, these uh, six Shinnecock women have approached the sisters about creating a collective ar- around kelp farming. And kelp farming sequesters carbon, cleans the water, and they're able to sell it as a product. And um, so that's just a neat collaboration. We don't know where that's going to go exactly, but that kind of gives you a little bit of a, a sense for like the possibilities with, you know, there's 45,000 sisters across the United States. I don't know how many thousands of acres, but there are possibilities out there. And so, and sisters are really, you know, like so many of us in, in this time of reckoning, you know, have, you know, George Floyd and Standing Rock and have read Isabel Wilkerson's book Cast and, and are like, how, how really can we and you know, act on the side of justice and liberation here. So it's it is a it's a fascinating project that we don't know where it's going to go, but um, the time seems right for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just, just overall, Catholic worker houses, farms, the this this idea of, of, of bringing together you know sisters and 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 young people. Um, there, I think it speaks to this deep some of the, some of the deep needs of our time, right? Spiritual mm-hmm. connection. Outside of maybe some of the dogmatic structures that that have that have mm-hmm. that have um, characterized that in the past, mm-hmm. but also community and also just structures of time. I guess I'm wondering if you could go back to, or you know, you mentioned that Peter Morin was uh, was was always trying to find the ideal schedule, right. and that really resonates with me as a as a person working on 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 the college here. Yes, and, and I don't know if you could talk a little bit more about about how 
how that looks in your in your place. You've mentioned daily prayer and and reconciliation, but say a bit more about that. What what is what is a what is a harmonious and what's a you know, sort of a healthful schedule for a community doing the kind of things you are doing? Sure, we can say what our schedule is, <laughs> and it's been healthy for us. But I think it's going to depend on uh, you know the community and who's who's living in it and how they're living their lives. Um, but the couple, the two adults that we live with, have two children. So our schedules necessarily um, uh, have to take into account the children's schedules, and so we we have we wake up, do morning chores, which involves milking cows, feeding chickens, and then the the kids go off to school, and um, during the school year, and then we pray from eight thirty to nine. We generally have communal work for those of us who are home. We each have a part time. We each have part time employment, mm -hmm. um, so. For those of us who are home on the farm and not working off the farm, we usually our our work is um, loosely from like nine to noon. Then we have lunch and a and rest, and then work again from two to five. That's sort of our rhythm of the day, and then eat at six. And um, that that's we hold to that structure, but it's a very loose structure. It's a very flexible structure that can be shifted depending on what people's needs are. But it's nice to fall back on that structure, and then. That's like a daily rhythm, but our um, it's been lovely learning, you know, having grown up in more of a suburb type setting, uh, moving out to the, uh, on a farm, really learning how to live into the seasons. So just um, the other day, I think it was, today's m Monday, so just on Friday, the temperature dropped from a balmy 70 degrees in November to like 30. And it was perfect timing. We had just finished getting the garden beds ready for winter, and then and then it's like on Friday we just we went inside and we lit up the stoves, and it's like cozy time. It's time to plan gardens for next year. It's time to read by the fire and get some more work on the computer done. It's a it's an inside time. It's a very different time than the very active growing season, which is generally about April to like Thanksgiving for us. Yeah. Yeah, it was that change of the weather was mm -hmm. right on schedule because mm -hmm. it was, it was the it was Martinmas the Se the feast of Saint Martin, mm -hmm. which mm -hmm. is is a day that that uh, is is celebrated in the Waldorf schools, um, but oh, it has um, has a deep um, deep cultural transition uh, tradition. Um, the 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 way the Waldorf schools celebrate it is with a lantern walk. The, the students the kids make lanterns and here in Baroque where they go and they go out to Saudi Hollow, which is the little lake here by town and wow. other places they go walk around the neighborhood. Kind of a like a like a, a, a light uh, surrounded inversion of Halloween a little bit, kind of going around the neighborhood. Cool. <laughs> um, that that has yeah deep European roots. But also, you know, Martinmas is the is the day associated with slaughter, with animal kind of the kind of harvest of the animals and so at Thoreau College this we harvest we uh, slaughtered one of our sheep um mm. and I've uh, been kind of processing that wow. and uh, that's also traditional um and, and the, the weather was just perfect because it went yeah. from like quite yep. warm to, to cold so you could let the animal hang for a couple of days that's very neat yeah that's that's something that we have been continually trying to lean more and more into over the past um number of years in our, our community's name, St. Isidore, his, you know, patron saint of farmers, his feast day is May 15th, which is the last frost date in our area. Uh -huh. So we always have a, uh, you know, prayer and celebration and potluck to kind of mark the beginning of the, um, the season, the growing season. And, and that's really morphed into us. We've, um, 
become linked in with this wild church network if you've heard of that where communities across the continent, that, yeah communities across the continent over the past decade or so just independent of one another have um, taken to prayer and ritual and community building uh, out outdoors and we were doing that and and uh, we had a spring equinox gathering at Cincinnati mound a few years ago and someone came and said well do you know the wild church network Said, no, I don't. And so later connected with them, and now we're we're doing public gatherings um, at Cincinnati Mound and other places around the Dubuque area and parks. And um, there's a real hunger for folks. We're, we're connecting the the natural uh, rhythms of the year with the liturgical church year. And um, just in the way you're talking about with right. Martin, it's it's, it's there. wonderful. Yeah, mm-hmm. the, those connections are really powerful, and that's. Just another way, I think, of, of, of resistance to sort of like flat time with, you know, like time divorced from the land. And so um, that's just a mean, bit or of meaningful. Time that the that like the capitalist society wants us to recognize, like Valentine's Day is time to buy everybody cards or, right. um, you know, Labor Day, the way the U.S. government says it should be. Instead, we're, you know, celebrating um you know, for example, the the feast of Saint Bridget is on February first, and also that's Candlemas and the present um, the feast of the presentation of Jesus to the temple. But that's and also Imolk, yeah. and but that's also Imolk, yeah. and it's the kind of the Celtic spring, and it's it's the, it's when things start warming up a little bit and things start thawing out a little bit, and yeah. um, or like the feast of Saint John the Baptist lines up pretty well with. Summer solstice, solstice. solstice. Um, both Mm -hmm. uh, associated with fire and the the decreasing of light. John the Baptist said, I must decrease so that he might increase. Mm -hmm. And it's getting prepared for six months later when Jesus is born at Christmas or winter solstice. Yeah, the, the... the correlations are beautiful. And one another a day that's important, especially in the Waldorf schools, is the is Michaelmas, is the mm. which mm-hmm. has a deep kind of uh, an academic history actually. Also in mm. Oxford, Cambridge, the kind of the, the the British university school system, Michaelmas was opening day of, of the school year basically. Ah, it was the Michaelmas September term. 29th. Right. So right yes, around the, yeah. the, the, the fall, the, yep. the autumnal equinox. Yes. And uh, you know yes. in, in the Waller School is celebrated as a as a festival of courage, mm-hmm. right? As kind of getting ready. It's still warm, but you yeah. know what's coming. <laughs> right? Winter is coming and and the you know the darkness is coming. And so a mm. lot of that definitely I think is you know, thinking about the academic year, thinking about the kind of the, the ag- agricultural year, right? There's there's just a, a, a lot of Rich, practical, and cultural, and, mm-hmm. and community building life to be built around that, and and that we really have thought of the, the curriculum uh, as being built around the seasons. The mm. cur- the season, the seasonal changes here in Wisconsin can be so dramatic. Yes. Um, they're they're an inner journey of their own <laughs> as well as an outer journey. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks for sharing. I didn't realize about the Martin. Yeah, Nicole. Martin of Tours is yeah. one of my favorite saints. But I didn't. Now I'm gonna go. I'm definitely gonna start celebrating it the way you're talking about. <laughs> but Martin of Tours was also the first. Um, I think he's the first conscientious objector in Christian history. When he when yeah. he became Christian, he he told his officer he was a he was a soldier, and he told them, "I I can no longer carry a weapon. I cannot fight because now I'm a soldier of Christ." And he offered to go to the front lines, but without carrying a weapon, he refused to kill anybody else. And for that, he was imprisoned. Um, so he's kind of a patron saint of folks who conscientiously object to the military. Um, yeah, so he's one of my favorites for that reason. Yeah, great stories and great figures are important too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wonderful. Well, we're coming up towards the end of our hour here, um, and yeah, I guess I just want to thank you both 
so much for your time here. You drove up to to Viroqua, and uh, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm really excited to to be able to share all the things you're doing with our audience. We're really honored for the invitation. It's always a delight to come up to Viroqua. Um, it's kind of a haven for us, so uh, we really appreciate it, and really grateful for your work with Rowe College and all of the alternative education. I know you've been at this for a number of years, and so it's just such important work and uh, you know this cultural renewal stuff. So I, I, I'm grateful for the invitation as well as for your work. Yeah, ditto. We were just telling a friend this morning about where we were coming and she has a nine-year-old son she's like what i want i'm gonna send my son there for college <laughs> so anyway you got another student on his early, way early admission yeah okay <laughs> yeah <laughs> all right thank you so much have a good afternoon Thanks. thank you, you too. Thanks,